Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. those of you who are worshiping at our Buchanan campus, to those of you who are watching online, we're glad that you're here. We're glad to, to jump in and get going in this Never Enough series, because when I, when I think about uh, contentment, and that's kind of my word for the year, contentment, uh, being at peace where my feet are, sometimes it's just never enough. And so we're going to be doing a study through First and Second Samuel, and Nick told you where we were going to be. We've got a reading plan for you. I know so many of you are like me. After the first of the year, you're looking for kind of something to do in your own devotional time, or we're giving you that reading plan, and I hope you'll take advantage of that. Let me just give you just a little bit of background about First and Second Samuel. Uh, we're going to be studying a period of time in the nation of Israel. The, the children of Israel had been in the land about 200 years, and, and God wanted to rule the nation of Israel. He wanted to be different, them to be different from all of their neighbors, that he would rule over them. And so there was 200, 200 years where the, the nation of Israel did not have a king. They were just ruled by, by judges, and these were more or less uh, military, political, spiritual leaders. Like Samson, Gideon, or Deborah. If you grew up in church, you might remember some of those names. But then that was never enough for the children of Israel. They wanted a king. They wanted to be like all of their their neighbors. And so God allowed them to have uh, kings. And so First and Second Samuel really starts with these these first kings in the nation of Israel: uh, King Saul, King David, and then Samuel, the prophet that would anoint these kings. And so we're going to begin to look at this story unfold. But we're also beginning to see the extended family of all these characters and really see that these characters in this story in First and Second Samuel, uh, we have so much in common with them because we're going to see a lack of contentment in their life, a lack of contentment around money, which we'll see today, a lack of contentment around affirmation, never able to get enough affirmation, a lack of contentment or really never enough power, or never enough pleasure, all these things we're going to see as this story unfolds. So I, I'm glad you're going to take this journey uh, with us. Now, as I, as I think about life, we have more of everything today except contentment. You know, the, the last thing I do before I go to, go to bed at, at night is I, I take my uh, Keurig. I'm a Keurig guy. If you're a coffee snob, that's really on you. I, I like it. It's easy. I take my Keurig pod, and I put it in the pod and then uh, in my Keurig, and then I have my coffee cup there. So when I stumble down into the kitchen in the morning, it's one button and about 10, 15 seconds, and I have a hot cup of coffee. I like that. Back in the old days, it was so difficult. They had these things called coffee filters. You had to literally put the coffee in the filter. You, you, you had to wait, uh, you know, I don't know, it was four or five minutes. It was miserable. And now it's so much, so much easier. Amy and I, after uh, uh, Christmas Day, we went down to South Alabama to spend some time with our family, her family, just uh, coming in and out. And uh, so we were on our way there. And one of the things that after we drive all day, one of the things that uh, we just don't like, I'll say I don't like, I don't like like driving eight hours and then going to the grocery store. Do you, is anybody else bothered by that? Like, oh, that's exhausting. And so we're, we're there and she says, you know what, I'm going to just check and see there's a grocery store right next to the place we were staying. She said, I'm going to see if they'll just do like a click list. I said, awesome. So we're, we're, we're driving down there. So she's on her phone and, and she orders our groceries. We pull in and you guys know this, I'm acting like it's, it's new, but a, a guy comes out with our groceries. He puts them in our car five minutes, five minutes later, there we are back. I mean, life is good, isn't it? I mean, it's just good. We have, we have more of everything today except contentment. 
Even though uh, we have more possessions, more income, uh, sociological studies say we, are, we have less happiness than we've ever had before as a people because it's just never enough. And so we're going to talk about that uh, over the course of the next four weeks. But here's a working definition for contentment that we're going to use. What does it really mean to be content? And this is not the best definition maybe, but it's one that we're going to use. Contentment is really this for me. It's being at peace with where your feet are. It's being at peace with where you are right now, not wishing your life away, just wanting this situation to happen or that situation to happen. If it, if it did, if we could get into this relationship or into this, into this house or if we got the promotion or whatever, then I would be happy there. Because if you're not content with where you are right now, you won't be content with where you want to be. And we're going to see that, all right? And so just being content with where your feet are, that's what we're going to talk about. Wouldn't that be a great thing? Can I, just, can I just throw that out to you? Wouldn't it really be great is if you just woke up in the morning and you were just content with where your feet are because God's sovereign, He's in control. And where you are right now is where God wants you to be. That'd be a good place, wouldn't it? And so we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna take a look at what the Scripture has to say. But we're going to see today, first of all, the first, one of the first stories in 1 Samuel is a, is a disturbing story. We're going we're gonna to study it today. It's a, it's a story of greed. And it's a, it's a super uh, disturbing story. And it's a story of never, never enough money. Uh, from a group of people who God was providing. Now, when it, when it comes to money, let's, let's think about this. You can just relax. We're not going to ask for any of your money today. We've already taken up the offering. So just, just relax. This is just so tied to your contentment, right? In fact, I would, think, I would say there, there's probably nothing in your life more tied to your contentment than just a proper understanding of our stuff. Uh, John D. Rockefeller uh, said this, and you, if you know something about the wealth of Rockefeller, at one time during Rockefeller's life, during the height of his earning, he was worth 1% of the overall economy of the entire United States of America. 90% of all the gas and oil uh, in our country, he controlled it. Uh, at the height of his wealth, uh, he made uh, guys like Warren Buffett or Bill Gates look like paupers. And it was asked to, to uh, Rockefeller, how much is enough? A man who had just in his, his own net worth 1% of what, ev- what everybody had in the United States of America. And Rockefeller said, just a little bit more than what I have. Just a little bit more. You see, that's the way it is. It's just sort of with, with money, it's never enough. It's always just a little bit more. Uh, Nick did a great job with explaining this last week. I thought I've thought about it all week. That We try to, we tr- we try to fill our life and find content with the wrong, with the wrong things. As he was talking about, uh, I don't know if he did this. It sounded like it was him. Uh, put diesel in an unleaded vehicle. You know, that, that's wrong. It doesn't work. It's kind of like finances, you know. I mean, it's trying to find contentment, but trying to find it with the wrong things. You know, trying to find your satisfaction in money, it's kind of like drinking salt water when you're thirsty. You know what? It may satisfy something really quickly, but it creates even a greater thirst and ultimately destroys us. So let's take a look at First Samuel chapter 2, a very interesting, difficult, power-packed passage. It says in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12, that Eli's sons were scoundrels. Now, I don't, I don't know about you as a parent. That's like the last thing that you want people to say about your kids. What about old Eli? Now, first of all, who, who was Eli? Eli was the priest for the nation of Israel. This is the, the, the most uh, religious person supposedly in the nation, a, a man who is supposed to be leading the religious life of, of his country. And it says about his boys that they were just absolute scoundrels. Now, man, I I'm, I'm have raised, still raising two boys. That, that's, that's not what you want to hear. Now, why were they scoundrels? Listen to what it says next. Because they had no regard for the Lord. 
You know, isn't it, it's, it's quite scary to think that you can grow up around the Lord. We're going to be introduced to his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and, and they knew a lot about God. They, they were around the people of God. They grew up in the place of God, but they had no love for God. You know, you can do that. You know, you can be surrounded by the people of God, continually come to the place of God, even know a lot about God, but have no love for God. And that's what Hophni and Phinehas had. They had no love for God. Now, it was the practice of the priest, watch this, that when, whenever any of the people offered a sacrifice, this is super important, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and while the meat was being boiled... He would plunge the fork, the priest would plunge the fork into the pan or kettle, cauldron or pot, ever how it was being sacrificed. Whatever the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. Now, this is super important. You might say, well, that doesn't make any sense to me today. I don't understand the application for me today. Well, there's a ton of application today. First of all, the priests were not allowed to own any land. So they didn't have any livestock to go and, and, and sell or provide for their family. They didn't have any crops that they raised because they weren't able to own any land. So God says, that's not a problem. I'm going to take care of you. I will provide for you. And so when the people come to bring an offering, you're going to get a percentage of that offering. And whatever you, you take your fork after it's being cooked. Now, this is going to be super important. Uh, as that sacrifice is being offered to the Lord or being, being cooked, why, why is that so important? Because God gets his first, right? And so it's like as this smoke is billowing up, it's an offering to the Lord, and, and, and the priest would take their fork and put it down into the pot, and whatever they brought up, that was going to be what they had for their family. And it was enough. It was enough. It was God's way of providing enough for them. But let's watch what happens here, right? I want to set that context up. Watch what happens, because for all of us, it's just never enough. It's just never enough. Look at this. Verse 15. But even before the fat was burned, in other, in other words, before the meat was sacrificed to the Lord, because uh, this is just a biblical principle throughout, that, that all of our, 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 our sacrifices, our, our, our time, our talents, our treasured, our treasures, those first fruits, we give to the Lord first. And so even before it was given to the Lord, the priest's servants, that would have been his son, Hophni and, and Phinehas, would come and say to the person who is sacrificing, give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. Now what's going on there? And so what were Hophni and Phinehas doing when they said, you know what, let's go out to the people and let's get the meat before it's given to the Lord. Why? Because meat was a commodity in this culture. And it was much easier to go and take this raw meat and sell it in the open market and make more money than it was to have some meat that was already cooked. Even though this was a clear violation of the Word of God and the will of God, they didn't care because it was about their kingdom first. Does that make sense? It was about their kingdom first. And so watch, the, watch how the people responded because the people knew the law of God, right? If a person said to them, verse 16, let the fat be burned first and then take whatever you want. Let me just give this to God. That's why I'm here. I want to give to God first and then you can have yours. The servant would answer, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I will take it by force. We're going to look at that today. They begin to get physical with the people. If you, if you, if you don't give us this now, then, then we're, going to, we're, going to, we're going to tie you up. We're going to do damage to you. We're going to do whatever it takes to take it from you. Verse 17, the sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight. God doesn't miss this. He sees it. For they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. I want to just spend just a second on this word contempt. It says they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. In other words, they were discarding it. They were discarding the word of God and the will of God, meaning that this sacrifice should be sacrificed to the Lord first. And they said, no, we're going to take what we want first. And they were just discarding it. And you know what? Don't we do that many times? 
with commandments in Scripture that we don't like, that are hard or challenging, we just discard them. And that's what Hophni and Phineas, uh, Phineas were, were doing. Now, if you have your notes, let's take them out for just a few moments. And I want to talk about two things just rather quickly here today that I, I think are super practical and I think could really help you to really be happy with where your feet are, right? Because that's what we said we want to start out today, just being content, being happy with where your feet are. You guys all right? It's got kind of raining outside. I mean, you stayed up watching the ball game last night. You look drowsy to me this morning. Could you stand up for just a second? Some of you are nodding. Stand up for no other purpose, just for blood flow. Uh, you know, I've been doing this song. Some of you aren't standing up just out of t- t- total disregard. You're dis- disregarding the word of the Lord, just as Hophni and Phinehas did. And... Uh, Anyways, go ahead and have a seat. That's good. All right. Somebody say, why do you do stuff like that? Because if you could look out and see what I'm seeing, you'd have to try something different too, right? I mean, you know, let's shake this thing up just a little bit, all right? Let's talk about understanding the high, high financial cost of discontentment because there is a high cost to being discontent with your finances, and most of us are discontent with our finances. Most of us think, you know what, if we just had a little bit more, then we'd have the satisfaction we'd want in life. That, that, that the problem, the biggest problem we have is, is that we're just under-resourced financially. But there's a high cost to being financially discontent. Number one, financial discontentment is a gateway to greater sin. That's what you see with Hophni and Phinehas. God had provided for them and for their family, and He had provided, provided, provided well. They were well taken care of, but it wasn't enough. And so when it's never enough financially, that opens the door to greater sin in your life. And you may say, well, well what do you mean by that? Well, let's just look at this story. Hophni and Phinehas were greedy. It wasn't enough financially. That greed uh, moved to other things in their life. They, they begin to be violent with other people. And then right after this, if you go on and, and do your reading plan and look at 1 Samuel chapter 2, as you just read on down, not only that, they were sexually immoral. They begin to take advantage physically, sexually, the women who were volunteering at God's house. And so it moved from greed to violence to sexual immorality. That's why financial discontentment is a gateway to so many other sins in our life. And the Bible says this. Listen to what uh, uh, Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. It's a great verse. It's a verse that's taken out of context a lot. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of what? Evil. When we, we teach that many times, you hear people say, it's, 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 it's money's the root of all evil. Money's not the root of all evil. Do you see what the Scripture says very clearly? What is it? It's the love of money, right? It's the love of money, loving it more than God, which is the problem with Hophni and Phinehas. Now, it says... Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And so that's what financial discontentment is. It's a gateway to, to, to more sin. And, and something happens in the life of a person that is, is doing more or doing better financially that we think we begin to be experts in other areas of life. You ever, I'm not talking about anybody here today, but you know people like that, right? You know what? That they've done well in one sector of life and made a lot of money, so they think they, they know everything in other areas. You ever, you ever know anybody like that? Sometimes you'll see the NFL team and their own will do well in, in some line of business, and then he thinks he knows everything about drafting uh, football players, and that doesn't uh, go very well. Sometimes you'll see actors who are great on the screen, but then they, they think they know everything about politics, and, and so they want to teach us there, and that didn't go over well with some of you guys, but <laughs> you, you understand my point. There's something that money does. It just breeds this kind of arrogance uh, uh, in, in us in, in many ways, and we have to, we have to guard it guard against that. And, and, and money sort of empowers us to, to take in our life what God hasn't given us. You see that? That's what Hophni and Phinehas did. No, number two, 
as we think about there is such a high cost of financial discontentment. You know, really what you're saying is, God, I don't think you're sovereign in my life financially. I, I think where I am right now, I think you've made a mistake. It's not trusting God. Financial discontentment will secondly wreck your physical health. Anxiety, worry are killers for your heart, lungs, even your pancreas. All kinds of studies done on worry. And so many people are wrecked physically because of constant worry about financial things. Number three, here's the the high cost of financial discontentment. Financial discontentment damages your relationships in our care ministry here. And we're so thankful for for that. And so many folks are coming and finding help inside their, their marriage. But the number one thing that we see in this care ministry is, is financial discontentment. You have one person in the marriage who's holding so tightly uh, to the money, making everybody around them miserable. And, you know, anytime somebody uh, uh, does anything and co- sort of questions any of that, they just, just lash out. Why? Because that's their God, right, that they love. And the other person doesn't have any boundaries or any discipline and just overspends because they're not satisfied. They're, they're not at, at peace with who they are or where their feet are right now. And so they're overspending. It's putting a lot of strain on the relationship. We see it every single day here, and some of you have lived through that. That's a high cost of financial discontentment. Some of you grew up in a home with, with a parent who was just, just exceedingly, exceedingly tight, and that just really, really put a lot of strain on the relationship. You see, it is, it is impossible to have a healthy relationship with a greedy person, right? You see that? So next, I would say, uh, financial discontentment steals your ministry. I think this is the most important one. We had a group of uh, young professionals that helped us film on Thursday night our, uh, uh, the small group 10-minute uh, intro that we'll do if you'll take one of these uh, packs to lead a, a kit to lead a, lead a small group. And this is the point that we really talked about a good bit uh, with them and, and even for a few minutes after on Thursday night. You see, what happens is this. We get so preoccupied with making a living, with earning an income. And is that bad? No, it's not bad. But we can get so preoccupied. Let me tell you something. Listen to what I'm saying. And this sounds like just something a preacher would say, but it's not. You need to know this. Jesus has called you to make disciples, not just make money. Do you understand that? That's the last thing that Jesus said before he ascended into heaven. Go into all nations and make make disciples of all nations. So so we've been called to make disciples and not not just make money. But we get so, so preoccupied with that. We get so preoccupied with money that we really miss out on the ministry opportunities that God has for us. You know, we, we take on so much more in our professional life that we just don't really have any margin to really serve and disciple other people. I, I want to tell you something. This is hard truth, but you need to hear it. Every one of you inside this room, myself included, who's a follower of Jesus Christ, is getting audited. You're like, what, the IRS call? We do what, What's going on here? No, I'm not talking about an IRS audit. I'm talking about something far greater. One day I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to be audited with how I've used my gifts, my talents, and my resources for God's glory. Did I use them for His glory or merely for my gain? You're going to get audited. Does that cause you to think a little bit differently? You know what, if, if, if I knew this year that I was going to be audited by the IRS, now I don't think, I just if you work for the IRS, I'm... I don't think we're doing anything wrong here, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be watching my stuff, getting all of my receipts, right? But I think we need to think that way. Now, let's turn the corner and head for home here for the next few minutes. You guys okay? Don't have to stand anymore. You guys are a little bit better. That did help. Thank you for doing that. 
contentment needs to be cultivated. Like you're not going to leave here today and say, you know what? I'm at peace with where my feet are. Great message. No. Contentment has to be cultivated over time, but it's worth cultivating, right? It's a fruit that needs to be cultivated. If you're a gardener, you understand that it's just not one hour in the garden that provides just amazing fruits and vegetables. Contentment has to be cultivated. There has to be a plan. Well, let's talk about that for a few, few moments. How do you cultivate contentment? Now, here's the first thing I want us to see. If you want to cultivate contentment in your life, and let me just ask before I go on any further, do you? I do. I want, to be, I want to be at peace with where my feet are right now, more and more. So how is that cultivated? Well, number one, here's what you have to do, you and I both. We have to win the kingdom battle. This is a battle that rages every single day for everyone in this room, and we see it in this story with Hophni and Phinehas. This was ultimately a kingdom battle. You see, contentment, look at this. Contentment is an inner battle between the kingdom of self and the kingdom of God. Contentment is an inner battle between the kingdom of self and the kingdom of God. This is the battle that is raging every single day in your life and in my life. It's a kingdom battle. Which one's going to go first? Am am I just going to think about my kingdom and my needs and my wants, or am I going to think first about the kingdom of God? The problem with Hophni and Phinehas is they, they just thought about their needs first. I mean, when the people came to to give their offering to the Lord and boil that meat as a sacrifice to the Lord. They said, no, we want it before that. In other words, so clearly, what are they saying? Saying, we want our kingdom. We want our kingdom to be taken care of first. This is the battle. And every single day, you have to ask for God's grace. You have to realize you're in a battle and make some decisions to help you begin to win that battle on a daily basis. Proverbs 3.9 says this, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your, your crops. And just in our giving, that's just one way. That's just one way with our time, talent, and treasures that we win the, win the battle. But think about this. Hophni and Phinehas aren't the only ones in this story who look out after their kingdom first. In fact, their father, their father Eli, the priest, is doing a very similar thing. Now, if you go and read over, and, and I'm thankful for this reading plan because I don't feel like I have to teach all this because you've already committed to read it, right? Didn't you? There was some giggling that was awkward there, I, I hope, I hope. In, in, chapter, in chapter 4, you'll see um, uh, Eli's death, and Eli dies uh, when he gets the news that his son, Hophni and Phinehas, are killed in battle. Uh, he just falls over because he's so overweight and breaks his neck. He'd been fattening himself on the choice meats that his boys were bringing in. He, he had no problem with what they were doing. In fact, he doesn't question them. He, he knows what they're doing is they're extorting the people, they're violent with the people, they're sexually immoral with the people, but Eli doesn't say anything to him about it. Why? He's more concerned about his boys' feelings than about the truth of God and God's will and God's ways and God's laws, right? So he's losing the battle. He's more concerned about self than he is about the kingdom of God. Now, this would help you a little bit, I think. When we experience a lack of contentment, I believe this. This is my, my opinion. A lack of contentment, anytime you don't feel satisfied, anytime you lack contentment in your life, a lack of a contentment is an indicator that you've chosen the wrong side. In some area of your life, if I'm not experiencing contentment, it is probably because you have valued self and the kingdom of self over the kingdom of God. Because here's the truth of us. Here's the truth of who you are and I am. And if you don't know this, life will always be difficult. This is so simple. God has created you as an instrument or a tool to bring Him glory. Do you believe that? 
What does it mean to bring God glory? It means to turn the lights on so people can see by the way I act, the things I say, the way I live my life, to be able to see the nature of who God is, what He's like in my, my, my life. But you see, the decisions that we'll make will be either to bring God glory or to gather, right? We tend to be more glory thieves. Does that make sense? We tend to be more gatherers in our own self because we prioritize our kingdom first. We're losing that battle, just like Hophni and Phinehas did. Now, now watch this. Contentment is never found. Contentment is never found in autonomy, but only in obedience. We've been teaching this principle around here for years, and I always love it when we have middle schoolers in here. I say this, maximum freedom is always found in surrender to authority. It's the last place you would see it. Maximum freedom is always found in surrender to authority. And Hophni and Phinehas missed that. Ultimately, it cost them their life, right? Let's look at the, let's look at the second thing. So if you want to you cultivate contentment, first of all, you really have to think, am I winning the battle today? Which kingdom, which kingdom am, I, am, I, am I putting more energy into, the kingdom of self or the kingdom of God? Is that a fair question? Lack of contentment will be an indicator to show you that I'm probably overvaluing the kingdom of self and undervaluing the kingdom of God, right? Uh, number two, if you want to cultivate contentment, you have to check your love life. Now, what I'm saying here is, is not romance inside marriage. No, I'm talking about your overall affection. This is so important. You have to have the right affection because what you love most is going to define your life. This is what's so important. What you love most, where your affections are set, that's going to be what really determines the outcomes in your life. Now, we're going to build off this, but I just want to, I want to bring this principle up. You guys still with me? This is so important. We're talking about cultivating contentment. You got to check your love life. What do you love most? Contentment is, is, is always a result of having the right affections. It's loving the right things. And you have to be. This is so important. Please listen, listen. You have to make sure in your life and my life that what we love most can truly satisfy. You have got to be sure that what you love most can truly satisfy you in your life. Now, look at this verse. I want to flesh this out with a passage of Scripture that's an amazing passage. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. Again, we're talking about cultivating contentment. We're talking about checking our love life. What do we love most? Because what you love most is going to define everything about you. The prophet Jeremiah says, my people have committed, God's speaking through him, my people have committed two sins. So here it is. The kingdom of self or the kingdom of God, we're going to see a violation here. They have forsaken me, so they lost the battle. The spring of living water, that's what God calls himself in this passage, the spring of living water. Now, it's a little different for us because living here in Middle Tennessee, we have no lack of water, right? Especially in the last 24 hours. Not so in the nation of Israel, a very arid climate. So water super, super important. It says, they have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and watch this, and have dug their own cisterns. Now, what, what is a cistern? A cistern was a tank, an underground tank that ancient people, and even still today, would, would dig so in the rainy season, the water could come in and just gather and stay there. And then in the dry season, they would have water to pull from. Does that make sense? So a, a home would have a cistern, an underground cistern that they dug. And they would dig that, and then they would cover the walls. They would cover the walls with rock and, and mortar. But the problem is sometimes those cisterns didn't hold water. They, they leaked. And so whenever you went to that cistern, whenever the rainy season was over and things got dry and you went to that cistern, if your cistern leaked, you were in a, you were in a big, big, big trouble. 
And this is what Jeremiah says. This is the problem in life with loving the, the wrong things. They leak. They don't hold water. When you need them most, they will not be there. Right? We have forsaken the spring of living water. God, His character, His provision, His nature, His love, His grace, His mercy for other things that can't truly satisfy. They don't hold water. Now, here it is. This is a crucial point in our talk today. Crucial point. I believe this. Money is God's top rival for your affection. It is for me, right? My brother-in-law called me this week and said, hey, let's, uh, let's meet Friday night and go to the boat show. I can't do that this week. I'm, it's not a good week to do that. So I so I, I went, and Amy said, this is not good for you to do that. You know, it's, it's like, it's not good. It's like, you know, if you struggle with alcohol, don't, don't hang out at a bar. If you struggle with, you know, what, an addiction to watercraft, don't go to the boat show. <laughs> I went. Money, money, is, money is God's top rival for your affection. Jesus knew this. Listen to what Jesus said. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says it's so easy to tell what you love most, what you treasure, your heart. Your heart is the core of who you are. The core of who you are, what you're really about and what you love most, it's, it's, going, to, it's going to be evident in, in where you're spending your resources. It's pretty easy to check. And Jesus says no one can serve two masters. Now, again, he's not saying that money is bad. Money is amoral. It's a, it's a tool. It's a test. We've said it's a trademark, but serving two masters, it's, money is a great tool. Let me say this. I'm losing some of you. Money is a great tool. It's a terrible tyrant, right? You try to make it a king, it'll destroy you. No one can serve two masters, Jesus said. Either he'll hate, hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, right? I would say this because I've been doing it for a long time. I've been doing this for a long time. And um, again, Anytime a pastor preaches on money, it's, you know, people get all upset. If this is really bothering you, you have to check yourself. It could be that somebody's rattling a cage of a little G God in your life, right? And, yeah, your anger is with me right now, and I understand that. I, I get that, right? But maybe God could show you there's a far greater problem, that you're loving things more than Him. You see, here's the deal. And you might say, well, how do I know? Here, here's the point. If, if contentment... Is about really focusing on your love life, what you love most. How do I know what I love most? This is the beautiful thing about Scripture. This is not hard to know. This is what Jesus is saying. This is so simple. Now, nobody likes this, but this is so true. Jesus is saying it is super easy to tell what you love most. Just look at your spending. I mean, especially this time of year, right? The IRS is about to send you, send you a statement in the mail, and it'll tell you what you earned, what you contributed to causes, right? Charitable giving. You see, you can tell. It, it will show you. It will show you what you love most. What I spend the bulk of my time, talent, and resources on in my life, if I take it, as I take an inventory of my life, just clearly tells me what I love most. It's not vague. You see? You see, and then here's the point. Again, we're not asking for you to give more money. That's not the point of this talk. Here's the point. I want you to experience contentment. And if you love money more than God, you'll never experience contentment. And that's what I want for you. Does that make sense? If your love for money and things outpaces your love for God, you'll never be at peace with where your feet are. That's a miserable way to live. Money isn't bad. It's just not ultimate. Do you see that? It's not bad. It's not ultimate. You know the only person who really gets it in this story? Man, if looks could kill right now, I'm a dead man. I'm, I'm reading you guys. You know the only person who really gets it in this story? 
Phinehas' wife. Look on over at 1 Samuel chapter 4. Here's what just happened. I'll, I'll, you've already promised that you're going to read this this week in your reading plan. Does it feel like I keep bringing that up? It's because I, that's how I am. Hophni and Phinehas, God sees their sin. God deals with their sin. The children of Israel go to war against the Philistines. They have the first little battle in, in, in chapter 3, and it doesn't go well. And then Hophni and Phinehas know, we know what the problem is. Let's take the, let's take the Ark of the Covenant. Let's take that out to the battlefield. And even though Hophni and Phinehas were wicked men, they, they took the Ark of God, God's presence out because they thought that would be sort of like a good luck charm. And if we've got it in the battle, then we'll do well. And so they go to battle, and the Philistines literally rout them. They kill 30,000 Israelites. Hophni and Phinehas are killed, and the Ark of God is stolen from God's people. God's presence, God's power that is manifested there in the Ark of the Covenant, it is taken over by, by a pagan people. Now, watch the response to that in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 19. She's really the only person in this story who gets it. Watch this. His daughter-in-law, meaning Eli's daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant and near the time of her delivery. When she heard the news the Ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law, her husband were dead, she went into labor and gave birth, but was overcome by her labor pains, meaning she's dying. She died in labor. As she was dying, the women attending her said, don't despair, you have given birth to a son, meaning you're going to have a legacy that will live on because the, the, the baby is, 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 is a boy. But she didn't respond or pay any attention to that. She doesn't say, let, let me hold him, and she doesn't weep with excitement about that. In fact, she names him right there. And what does she name him? Ichabod. Now, you don't know anybody in your life named Ichabod, do you? Or if you do, pray for them. Life has been tough, I promise you. She named the boy Ichabod, and that, that, that name meant the glory has departed. So she's saying something with this name. Here's what she's saying. She, she's not overcome that her father-in-law is dead, her husband is dead, or her, her brother-in-law, or 30,000 of her family and friends are dead. Is that troubling and difficult for her? Sure it is. But what wrecks her is that the presence of God has left the nation of Israel. Because what does she know? She knows that's where the only hope is. That's the spring of living water. That's the God's presence is where any chance of hope and contentment is found. And so she says to calls the boy Ichabod, the glory is gone. And it wrecks her. She says the glory has departed from Israel. The ark of God has been captured. Look at this. i got to go fast. Can you guys buckle up here and give me a two minutes, right? No one responded. Pursuing his presence... Over your possessions is the key to contentment. Let's look at the third and final thing, and this is so important because number three is going to help you do number two. You can't do number two on your own. You can't just leave here today and say, you know what, I'm going to just, just love God more today. Again, I've used this illustration a hundred times. It would be like you telling me, hey, you ought to just start loving tomatoes. You can't. I, I hate tomatoes. Something has to change on the inside of me, right, for that to happen. Number three, I think this is the start. You've got to focus on the right yard if you want to cultivate contentment. Cultivating contentment starts with looking in your, your yard, not over the fence. Cultivating contentment starts with looking in your yard with what God has done in your life, what he has given you. We have sort of spiritual amnesia. We forget the goodness and the faithfulness of God in our life, and we're prone to look over the fence at what others have. 
and we're discontent. And I said this to start. I'll say it at the end. I, want, I, I believe this with everything I am. If you aren't content with where you are right now, what in the world makes you think that you'll be content with what you want in your life? It's a false understanding of contentment. This is an inside issue. You see, we have everything except contentment. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. I'm almost done. Watch. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him. How much has God given you in Christ? What does the Scripture say? Everything. Everything I need, I already have in the presence and the power and the person of the Holy Spirit who dwells in me. So now it, 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 it means this. I begin to start looking into my yard, begin to unpack all that that is. And one of the ways we do that is we get into the Word and we begin to get more and more thankful of who God is and what He's done in our life. And when that begins to happen, your affection begins to change. You begin to love Him more. And what you love most will define you. This is how you cultivate contentment. And contentment is ultimately just being satisfied where your feet are because why? You're trusting the sovereignty of God with your job, with your income, with relationship. You're trusting that God knows what he's doing. And for this period of time in your life, he has you right where you are. Now, it was the practice, let's close, of the priest that whenever any of the people offered a sacrifice, verse 13, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand while the meat was being boiled, and he would plunge the fork into the pan, kettle, cauldron, or pot. Whatever the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. Let me close with this. Contentment is ultimately a result of being thankful and faithful with your forkful. Contentment is ultimately, ultimately a result of you being thankful and faithful with your forkful. Are you satisfied with the fork that God brought up for you? For some of you today, here's what needs to happen. All of this has realized, brought some thoughts to your mind that there needs to be a kingdom change because all of your life you had pursued your kingdom over God's kingdom, and that's why you're here today, for God to reveal that to you. It's time to begin to live for His kingdom over yours. For others, it's an affection issue, and you realize, you know what, Father, I ha if I'm ever going to break out of this funk, I've got to be honest about where I am. Be honest with God about this. I love other things more than you right now, but would you show me more and more of who you are so I can know you and fall deeper in love with you? Nothing will ever change until you're honest about that. Are you thankful and faithful with your forkful? What makes you think God will do more in your life until you're thankful and faithful with what he's already done? We're going to have folks here at the front in just a few moments I'd love to pray with you and, and talk with you. I have folks that are waiting over in the cornerstone room that would love to pray with you and talk with you about ultimate contentment. And ultimate contentment is found when we surrender first and foremost to the kingdom of God through faith in Christ Jesus, his son. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this moment in time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for showing us that we are so much like these characters in this story that we live our life and it's just never enough, never enough possessions, never enough power, never enough affirmation, never enough pleasure. But God, would you show us that you alone are enough and we would orchestrate our life around drawing closer to your presence and experiencing your contentment. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. 
If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.